Mildred hired some women to help her peel potatoes. And that's not a very glamorous no. uh, kind of activity. And so they would have fun. They would uh, set contests and then I'll buy you a beer if you can put, <laughs> uh, peel more potatoes than me. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so they, there was always this element of fun, even though it was a very tedious job. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today I talk with Pat Reeser, board chair of Reeser Fine Foods, a third-generation family company based in Beaverton. Pat is serving her third term as OSU Foundation trustee. She, her late husband Al, and their family started the Reeser Family Foundation. Al's early life was very nomadic, and they, uh, for example, he went to six different grade schools in four different states, so there was a lot of coming and going and not a great deal of stability. Elle's mom had this, um, she was a very good cook. That was one thing. And at one point they had a little restaurant in Kansas and they used to make the sandwiches for the workers for lunch. Mm -hmm. uh, so they'd come by, pick up their sandwiches, go out into wherever they were going, do their work and so forth. So she had this affinity to making food for others. When they moved to Oregon the last time in 1950, Al's dad got involved in a logging business. Well, the cash flow with logging is not very healthy. And so in order to feed the family, she began making potato salad. And Al's mom was um, maybe five foot two, talked a little bit slowly, and was not a highly demonstrative person. However, she had a backbone of steel. And so when she did that, she actually did it on her own because Al's dad was still working in terms of logging. And so Mildred hired some women to help her peel potatoes. And that's not a very glamorous no. uh, kind of activity. And so they would have fun. They would uh, set contests and then I'll buy you a beer if you can put, uh, <laughs> uh, peel more potatoes than me, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so they, there was always this element of fun, even though it was a very tedious job. And by this time, they had moved into a farmhouse in Cornelius. But when they first moved to Oregon that last time, they lived in the labor camp. Uh -huh. And they worked in the labor camp until they could move to a motel. So it, it really was a very trying time mm -hmm. for them. And Al was going to go into high school, and he had three younger sisters. So the fact that Al's mom took the salad to Safeway was really incredible. And th this was a period of time when there wasn't a lot of pre-wrapped food. You bought by the pound or by the each, like if it was a a small roast or th something of that nature. And uh, there were these long trays that held the, uh, the various cuts of meat. And so the potato salad 
was put in one of those long trays. It wasn't individually cupped. Right. And uh, she asked the butcher to give people tastes and then try and sell it. Well, apparently the response from the customers was very positive, and he must have liked it himself <laughs> also <laughs> because he contacted the regional headquarters that was located in Portland at the time. He said, you have to come out here and taste this. I think wow. this is something that we need to carry. And it, it was fortuitous in a couple of ways. First of all, there's the meat department, there's the deli department, there's the dairy department. That was a good inroad for what would become our product lines. Right. So it, it, it really was serendipitous in that way. Then as the order started coming in, she couldn't handle it all. So Al's dad started working with her. And then they moved from the back porch of the <laughs> farmhouse to a small space in Cornelius and bought equipment and began to look at it in a different way. So it, it was a very, very early beginning. One of my favorite photos is uh, Nellie. N Nell worked for us. I don't remember how many years, like 30 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. And she had, uh, the photo of her is with her uh, a scarf wrapped around her head, a huge round tub in front of her, and a cigarette in her mouth, and she's peeling potatoes. And I love the commercial. You've come a long way, baby, <laughs> when you look at our pristine uh, <laughs> facilities now where you know, you've got the boots on, the, the, the garment, the head covering, beard covering. Nobody touches anything. It, you know, it's really quite incredible. We have come a long <laughs> you way. have come a long way. But that was, that was really an iconic uh, photo. Absolutely. And it was kind of fun. And so the beginning of what we now know as Reeser Fine Foods, uh, this was happening in the late 50s when Mildred approached Safeway. How much time passed before it was just the butcher giving samples to people and then Safeway deciding that this should be in all the stores? It was quite fast. Yeah. It really was. Um, and the one thing uh, I, I might mention at that time, it was called Mrs. Reeser's Salads. Okay. Because we made four salads, mm -hmm. a potato, club, which was a macaroni, okay. slaw, and carrot raisin. And then we had four jellos, red, green, yellow, and orange. And you can kind of anticipate what they were. Right. But uh, I, I have to mention that the very first time, or within a short time after I met Al, and you talk about what your family does and this, that, and the other thing. So he was saying how his family had this salad production company, and they made jello. And I can still remember the thought that went through my mind. Jello is five cents a box. All it takes is boiling water and some ice cubes if you want to cool it down faster. Right. And you could put something in it if you wanted. So it, it, it was just an unfathomable concept to me that people would buy ready-made Jello. Right very happy that they did. It, it turned but, out well. But, um, yeah, yeah. And so Al is the oldest, and, and and he helped, from what I understand, he helped his parents, at this point, both of his parents involved, 
taking the foods to the different stores. Is that right? He yeah. spent, a, from what I was reading, yes, he spent all of his time when he wasn't in school doing this. I mean, he was an integral part in yeah. the distribution. He, he really was. it. But keep in mind, the distribution was primarily in Portland. Right. The technology of the day did not provide refrigerated trucks. And these are food products. Yeah. So you have to maintain the cold chain. On a daily basis, someone would drive over into northeast Portland and buy dry ice. And so that's how we kept the panel trucks cool with this dry ice. And of course you learn that you don't put the product too close to the dry ice because it will freeze (laughs) and so forth. So there was a whole lot of learning uh, along the way. It it was a challenge that the one story, I I know it's in the book, but Al used to enjoy telling it, is uh, he would go with his mom and Normally, she would go in and make the sale, and he was pretty much the brawn that carried the cases in. And so this one time, um, she parked and pulled out her book, and Al said, what are you doing? Uh, she said, well, you're going to make the call this time. Well, I can't do that. Mm. She said, well, when you're ready, I brought my book, and I'll just sit here and wait until you go in and make the call. Wow. And she did. She did have a background deal. He did. He did go in and make the call. Good. But I, I do believe Al's mom realized that uh, if if this was going to do anything more than be a stopgap financial support, Al needed to understand from the ground up. Yeah. So he worked alongside uh, as he could uh, through high school, and then after he graduated. He uh, volunteered for the draft, right? Because the draft was there, but he volunteered, and so he and his friend Daryl, who was a high school friend, went into the service about the same time mm-hmm. in November of that year, and uh, they b- both ended up becoming cooks in the army, and Al really began to experiment with a a lot of things because, you know, you hear all the stories about chow in the mess hall, (laughs) and it wasn't always the most flavorful, but he would um, keep bugging his uh, commanding officer to get him some garlic, to get him some of this, to get him some of that, and began preparing uh, better tasting food. And so their enlistment period was over two years later Mm -hmm. in November, and they both decided to go to Portland State. So they enrolled in January for winter term. Mm -hmm. And Al had a really wise counselor. He he asked Al, he says, how many letters did you write home? He said, maybe one or two. Well, how did you communicate with your parents? I usually called them collect. (laughs) So he said, I suggest that you don't start with writing classes but choose some classes that really interest you and then they began talking about what is it that you're really interested in doing Mm -hmm. and so he began taking business classes which was out of the norm because normally you start with all your 100 classes and yeah get the basics out of the way and so I so appreciate that person and I wish I remembered his name to give him the credit 
that he's due. But I think he understood when GIs came back, there had been this two-year gap of written language, and they needed to get some warm-up time. So uh, Al was interested in, in business with a focus on accounting, and his buddy Daryl was interested in food technology. And so um, that following September, they both then enrolled in English class. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's where I'm going to de- depart from the Al story for Absolutely. a bit. Um, I graduated that June and was going to Portland State also. And so I went to, you know, got my schedule and went to class. And Al and Daryl are in this English class. And our professor, now he's one professor's name, I remember. <laughs> uh, but Professor Netboy had us all just do a, some writing to get a sense. Because I didn't realize I was in an English class, a writing class that had a, a writing lab with it meaning he didn't score very well. And I thought, that doesn't make sense because I always got A's in English in high school. So anyhow, we did our writing, handed it in, and the professor said, what are you doing in this class? I said, well, uh, this is where I was assigned, you know, on my schedule. He said, you need to go down to the office and uh, tell them you don't belong here. I'm 17 years old. I am not going to challenge university placement. Right. And goofy as it sounds, I figured I was put in this class for some purpose. Well, Al and I met. Exactly. <laughs> you were put in that class for some purpose. <laughs> I have to ask you, though, when he uh, decided to take these business classes, did he have in mind his mom's, his parents' business at the time? Or was he thinking, I'm going to go off and do my own thing? No, I think he saw that as a launch pad. But what he recognized very soon is that the business that we were in, and and I use the collective we because I've been part of the family for so long, but uh, the business we were in was not sustainable in terms of more than one family. Mm -hmm. And at that time, and even still today, but to a lesser degree, Salad season starts with Memorial Day. It ends with Labor Day. What do you do the rest of the year? Exactly. Uh, Well, I have to backtrack just a bit, but I'm going to hang on to that thought because Al wanted a minor in food technology, and Oregon State was the only school that offered food Mm -hmm. tech. So Daryl transferred down after two years, and Al was going to transfer too. Well, that was a long 90 miles between Portland and Corvallis. So we got married. (laughs) And uh, uh, we went there, and we continued to live above the plant in a small apartment during our summer times. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I remember every so often, now his folks could leave because Al was there to work. Uh, This one particular long weekend, Al's folks went to Reno with some friends. And so Al was playing around with things. In the day, dips were made with um, cream cheese. And Al thought, there's got to be a better way to make a dip. And so he was playing around with things in his mind. 
about that time, the son of Sunshine Biscuits was about Al's age, and, and they sold uh, potato chips. But he came out saying, you know, it would be so great to have a dip where your chip didn't break every time you dipped it. Right. And Al said, well, I've been playing with this idea. And so out of that, Al formulated the first sour cream base dip in the country. And I have not known anything but a sour cream potato chip dip. Absolutely. And I didn't know that story until I was reading about Al and his drive to create that product and more for the other parts of the year when it wasn't salad time. And so you you think about dips um, through from the holiday, the football season, through Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. And then then what do you do? So all along uh, the development of product lines, the calendar fit in from this month to this month. And then you better be ready with something else. So one of the fillers between September, Labor Day, and when people began entertaining at home, or it, it even took a while before tailgating became just a, a national phenomenon. Right. So we started making carameled apples. Oh. And September and October, I don't advise it. <laughs> it is messy. Yeah. The equipment, but oh, were they good. <laughs> oh, they were so good. We had a really good caramel. So that was something that we did for September and October and everybody breathed a sigh of relief when Halloween came because no more caramel (laughs) apples. (laughs) (laughs) So then another idea he had, okay, what what does every family want for Thanksgiving? Stuffing with their turkey. What's the hardest thing to make? Sometimes it's the stuffing that goes in the turkey. So we came up with a stuffing. So he's always thinking calendar. What is it that draws people together? How do they like to enjoy their time? What is it that uh, enhances their lives? Mm -hmm. And where does food come into the picture? So even though economics may have been the, the stimulus, it was always the customer who provided the idea, because how do you make something that the customer is going to enjoy using or eating and uh, serving and so forth? Um, And so it's just, it's kind of interesting to think about economics as being driven by calendar and people. Yeah, Yeah, that is the inspiration Mm -hmm. that allowed him or helped him take Research from a three hundred thousand dollar annually business to eight hundred million. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was his. I mean, it's creativity. It, it's good business sense. But you can go to a business school and not have the instinct. I'm going to use that yeah. word. The instinct that he yeah. had to create these products to build this company. Mm-hmm. So, at OSU, he then graduated. Mm-hmm. And both you both did because mm-hmm. when you graduated, you had a teaching degree. Mm-hmm. And how long did you teach before you the f- eventually? The first time uh, I taught for five years, mm-hmm. 
and then by then our third child was born and so I stayed home yeah. uh, for 15 and we had two more daughters the first three were uh, sons and uh, I went back to school and got a master's in special ed and then I went back into the field and actually worked for 15 years in education wow. before I retired from awesome. that setting and at the but same time you're raising five kids and you are teaching it furthering your degree and teaching some more were you also I have to imagine he, Al would come home and you guys would brainstorm about oh other yeah. things so you had to have had your toe in the company oh. during that time uh, yeah I, I really did it um, uh, I, I had a really interesting conversation not too long after Al passed away uh, a, a person who had been our sales manager for several years and was also a friend called me up and said, Pat, I, I wanted to tell you something. I don't think I've ever said this to you before. When I was working for Al and I'd come up with ideas and I would tell him I w would like to do this, that, or the other thing, what, whatever it was. And he would often say to me, let me take it home and run it by Pat. Mm -hmm. Now, I suspect sometimes that was a stall, right. meaning I've got to think this through. I'm not going to answer this uh, this quickly. Right. But I also know there were many times that we talked about sales, concepts, what is it you want your customer to feel and think when they look at your product and when they taste your product. It has to be aligned. It's got to have visual appeal as well as palate appeal. You know, we had many, many conversations of that ilk. And then um, when we had our first retirement, that was extremely um, moving to me to think that someone had worked for 20 years in a job that would not have very much visible appeal but she was the best litter we ever had. She could put those lids on, never miss a beat, and they're coming at you constantly. And I began to think of the value of employees. I mean, you have this sense of how important your employees are to you and valuable to you. But that was a, a giant step up when I thought of Mrs. Van de Hei, who happened to have been Daryl's mother, and how she trusted us to make good decisions so she would get her paycheck every other week. Mm -hmm. But it really was an aha moment in terms of paying attention to your employees in a different way. We always had kind of a family uh, sense. I, I knew everybody by name. Uh, Al would take the kids down to the plant on Saturdays and they all learned how to run the heister <laughs> and dinged up the walls a few times and whatnot. So there, there was a lot of family incorporated in this, but that was a real aha moment to think that someone was willing to invest that much time. And as a result of that, you know, we have a variety of programs in place uh, strictly to honor the role that the employee plays in our company uh, in terms of coaching, in terms of wellness programs, um, in, in the summer when they will work seven days straight 
because the product has to get out and we've got three shifts going. Uh, we'll throw barbecues once a week at lunchtime so it, you didn't have to bring your lunch uh, or your dinner that day. So we do those kinds of things, a big massive uh, picnic with uh, everybody invited, you know, in the families and the role of the employee is really important. But I always thank Mrs. Vandehei for helping me um, take that giant leap forward in terms of conversation and decisions that we make for our employees. You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Pat Reeser in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Pat Reeser from Reeser Fine Foods. There was another, there were two other people who played pivotal roles. This friend, Daryl, he really was a genius with equipment. Daryl kept the plant operating while Al did product development, uh, some accounting, uh, sales, all of the other things. So Daryl worked for us, I think he retired three times, but the last time he retired, he still came down every morning at 6.30 and checked the gauges on various pieces of equipment. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was his life. He was not going to let this baby go. No, no. (laughs) He had a great investment in this. And then another person who was very pivotal uh, to Al's success was Mac McAllister. Mac had been the controller of Borden's regional office in Portland, and Borden's was big in sour cream also in cottage cheese and you know those were kind of the staples in the um, cold case and he was retiring but he was kind of fascinated by this little company in Cornelius that was uh, was making salad under the Borden's label see we did our own label Mrs. Reeser salads and then Borden's wanted some salad under their label so we did private label for them. And he, he got to know the company and Al and so forth. And so when he retired, Al said, ah, Mac, how about if you work for me for about three months just to help me set up all the books? And he said, well, let me have just a few days fishing, mm-hmm. a few months fishing, weeks, whatever he said. And a, a few days later, he called Al up and said, you know, this fishing is not all <laughs> what that is cracked up to be. When do you want me to start? Yeah. Well, Mac worked with Al for 14 years. Wow. And when his health didn't allow him to come to the office, Al would go every Thursday after uh, lunch. They'd play pinochle and talk business. And because Mac had worked for a large company, from the very beginning, he instilled in Al's mind the sense of best practice. And so many times the, the issues that small family businesses go through never got to be big issues because Mac was always there talking about what's the best way to do this. That's smart. We are so fortunate. And that, I really believe um, that was... Um, 
very pivotal yeah. to Al's success. A key piece, yeah. because oh, that's absolutely. something he, like many other small companies, as you said, overlook. Mm-hmm. So to have that voice offering that advice was, was probably mm-hmm. incredibly useful. Because statistically, once you get to the third generation, the success rate is so very low. Mm-hmm. And fourth generation is almost non-existent. So we put into place some policies fairly early. Well, early is, <laughs> is relative. But when the kids were in high school and college, we told them that if you need a and uh, well, it wasn't a matter of whether you want a job, it's whether you need one. You're go- yes, you do need one. Um, we'll provide you a job. Mm-hmm. And we did our best to help them understand that because the company and their last name were the same, that more would be expected of them. Any successes they had would not be as glorious. Any failures they had would be much larger. And that's just the way it is, and you need to understand that. So um, after Al passed away, and I know Al would have loved to have been surrounded by his family. Uh, The boys did work for him uh, from early on, and he sensed what their skill set and interests were and pushed them in different directions. Michelle worked in marketing for a while, but she said, I always wanted to be in business, but I knew I'd have to work for one of my brothers, and I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. She has a very successful uh, retail store. Mindy got into radio, and uh, we were in need of someone in marketing. So Al called her and said, you know, Mindy, I've got a vacancy in marketing, and uh, she said, What's the pay scale, Dad? <laughs> she said, I'm sorry, I made twice that last year, and I did it with cold calls. And, and she's taken a very, very different path. She has a holistic spa, in wow. a residential spa in Mexico. Her pathway is very spiritual and very holistic and um, a very different. But then we've got 15 grandkids. We start to see how things could happen. And uh, after Al passed away, Mark and I were having a conversation. And he said, Mom, we have to do something about the grandkids. And I said, I know, I've been thinking about this. So we talked about there's no entitlement. Mm -hmm. As a family member, there are certainly entitlements. But as an employee, there are no entitlements. There is an expectation during high school and college, you want a job, we'll find you a job because we need extra uh, employees during the summer. But once you graduate from college or choose to not go to college, you have to demonstrate success in an industry somewhere so that if and when you do come back, you are value added and you do not have to apologize for having a job and your name being Weezer. I I keep telling management that my goal at some point when I'm looking down, I'm um, being presumptuous now, <laughs> of course, I'm going to hear an advertisement that says fifth generation. I have a question for you sure. about the products that have been created throughout this 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. 
and Al having a big part of that. I'm always curious with a food, well, actually with any company, Mm -hmm. you have so many successes and so many great products. There had to have been some products that were just, (laughs) let's say they didn't make the grade. Right. But, you know, you don't know that until you try it. Yeah. What were some of those products that Al thought would okay. go somewhere and just unfortunately The, the classic story, uh, there are those products who were before their time. Okay, what are those? One of them was we came up with this sour cream dip. We mm. used to call it Dad's Secret Sauce. Yeah. And uh, it was a sour, it wasn't a dip, excuse me, it was a, a potato topping. And okay. so we came up with this notion you know, in the era of baked potatoes, you had sour cream chives, yeah. bacon bits uh, on top, mm-hmm. and sometimes grated cheese. I mean, really added the calories. <laughs> and uh, so we thought, ah, let's come up with this product, Potatoes Go High Hat. So we had the picture of a potato with a top hat on, uh-huh. and we had this product. Couldn't give it away. No. Uh, Al had the sense that when people like to entertain, we were just moving into the time frame when people were using vegetables, Mm -hmm. uh, cauliflower, broccoli, uh, carrots, and so forth for dips. Why not have a package that has all of those in it and a dip also? Well, that was an idea before its time because you can get veggie trays now. Right. What hadn't happened yet was the film that's semi-permeable. It allows the gases to leave uh, so that uh, broccoli doesn't turn yellow and cauliflower doesn't turn brown (laughs) and keeps the oxygen out. Now, I want to move into something that Al was very, and you, and actually the company. The company has a passion, has a drive to give back. Yes. And the most obvious of that, you can look south to Corvallis to Reeser Stadium. But it's not just Reeser Stadium. Reeser's has contributed a lot of money and time to OSU, both athletically and academically. Mm -hmm. Sure. Tell me how that started and why. When Elle and I were engaged, we spent a lot of time talking and dreaming and, and thinking about the future. And some of those conversations led to areas other than just company and mm-hmm. growth. We, we started uh, talking about who we wanted to be. Um, th- the giving back part was slow in starting. Mm-hmm. I remember all of the, the angst as I would get these requests, you know, in the mail and so forth. B- but I remember, you know, we did have a budget for that kind of giving. And then as the kids uh, began to become involved with sports teams, we'd buy the t-shirts and that would be a corporate thing Mm -hmm. because there was advertising on it. And it it just, it grew from there. Al always credited Oregon State with helping him develop the sense of thinking through a problem, not just reacting. And he had some incredible um, professors who saw him. Now, granted, he was a married student. He was a GI. He was a little bit older than some of his peers, other students. And 
he had an interest in business and every class that he took he could immediately apply it in his mind how it would make a difference or he could use the examples of his experience in class so when Oregon State first was going to enhance the end zone they wanted to put a kitchen in there and so Al helped them find a kitchen and we helped finance it um, as we were able to give more we did so then I was asked to serve on the OSU Foundation Board and then I was asked to serve on the capital campaign and I came home from our first capital campaign meeting and said Al you'll never believe what's what's going to happen there and we need to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And it what has become the Linus Pauling Science right. Building. And, and, and then uh, Austin Hall, because Al felt such an affinity for the classes he took there and so forth. So those were organic in a sense. After Al passed away, he and I had done a lot of traveling in the last years, but because of his mobility issues, we, the last five, seven years, we only traveled on cruise ships because mm -hmm. you could take the walker, you could take the scooter, you could take the oxygenator, you could take all the equipment you needed, and yet I could get off at the various ports, so we both got something out of it. One day, I, you know, you have these little aha moments in your life, and I was in my closet, and I remember think, oh, I got this belt in this country. That blouse, oh, oh, I got it from there. Oh, this label says made in. All of a sudden, the community in which I live and work was greatly expanded, and I wanted to look beyond that. So I became involved with Medical Teams International. Mm -hmm. Can build a stove with the best of them, and. <laughs> Uh, the latrines were harder because you're up in the mountains and I'm short. I could not carry the buckets of concrete. I could mix them, I could trowel, but that was the extent. But I could still be part yeah. of the team. Um, and so that's been really important to me. But after Al passed away, I'm going to do a little chronology again, I could sense this rudderless feeling in the family. So I asked the entire family to come to the house and I wanted the kids, my kids, my grandkids, spouses, everyone. And I talked about, um, you know, as a, an entire family, we had never talked about wealth. We had talked about responsibility a lot, mm -hmm. but not wealth. And then I shared with them how I viewed wealth. I think of wealth as intellectual, human, uh, there's capital, mm -hmm. and communication. So when we talk about philanthropy, it's not always about writing a check. It includes those other elements. So I did what, what I call hopes and dreams. I asked them, and I was all set up, I was an educator, we had flip charts <laughs> and felt pens and wh whatnot. I said, what are your hopes and dreams for you as a member of the Reeser family mm -hmm. and for the Reeser family? And I just started writing. 
And we had all kinds of things. We'll see the business grow. We'll keep giving back to the community. That I'll get to find my dream job. You know, if everybody contributed. And then I went to strengths and interests. As an individual and as a family, what are our strengths and interests? Mm -hmm. Did the same thing. Then I went to fears and nightmares. I expected, you know, what's going to happen to the business because Dad's not here. Mm -hmm. Even though for the previous five years he wasn't involved with the day-to-day decisions, mostly the higher-level acquisitions, that kind of thing. There were hardly any, and none about the business. I couldn't have scripted it better. I was so happy. And out of that process, the top three things were we will always support each other no matter where we live, no matter what we do. Lifelong learning uh, came in there, and we will always give back to the communities in which we live and work. And so out of that came the Reeser Family Foundation. I spent a year doing all kinds of research, learning, reading, looking up on the web and so forth. Then I um, worked with Mary Jo to kind of put some semblance of order to it Mm -hmm. and then had another family meeting and presented and said, acting on what we said instead of me making the decisions, how are we going to structure it? And they can't just write a check. Mm -hmm. They have to become involved with that organization, either uh, through a day's activity or something. But they have to invest beyond. So I want to end it this way then. Generation four of the Reeser family is, they've been absorbed into the company, heart and mind and soul. Mm -hmm. As you take a step back, and as you're looking down someday, (laughs) <laughs> what are your hopes for the company and the foundation? Mm. Well, my hopes for the company are that the best practices in terms of values, decision-making, and big picture are still in place, that we, we will listen to our employees and think in terms of the investment they're making mm-hmm. in the company and value that that we will listen to the customers so that we can adapt what we produce in terms of foods that are nutritious and what we call clean label, which is getting rid of some of the chemicals and so forth. We know there have to be preservatives because that's the way um, it is. We do not work on a three-day shelf life. No one does, even in their own home. And so uh, we know that those kinds of things have to be there. And so to be an employer of choice, to have, uh, to treat our customers as the most important thing and be responsive to changes mm-hmm. um, is really important. And just to value the integrity of the company, the financial integrity and uh, all that goes with it. And then in terms of the foundation that at, at this point, we give primarily in the state of Oregon. But as our grandkids move to other states, I want them to be vested in their communities. And so I want this foundation that will still primarily serve the state of Oregon 
because that's our our birthplace in a, in a way. I want that uh, foundation to still provide opportunities for grandkids, great grandkids, and others to be vested in their communities and make the world a better place. I think that's a good place to end. Thank you so much, Pat, for coming into the studio today. You're most welcome. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Pat Reeser from Reeser Fine Foods. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website, kink.fm. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating Kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and champion the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.